you'll hear truly scary stories that you cannot get out of your head. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Good night, my sweet girl. I pushed my oldest's hair back from her forehead as she snuggled into her star-printed pillow and pulled Mr. Rabbit closer to her chest. Night, Mom, she replied, suddenly so articulate for a five-year-old it almost took my breath away. I stared at her for a moment too long, relishing in the last days of her resembling the baby I'd been caring for for the last 60 months, terrified of how fast time was going. I glanced over at her three-year-old sister Mary and smiled, relieved that she was still my baby that I still had a couple of years left to enjoy wispy hair and chubby wrists before they were both full-grown kids. Don't get me wrong, I was excited to see who they were going to become, excited to encourage their thoughts and talents and ambitions, but just about any mother will tell you, there's nothing like that early love. To be that needed is simultaneously a waking nightmare and the most wonderful and satisfying experience a person can have. I snuck one more kiss on both of their faces, giggling as they squirmed, and then turned off the light, leaving them in the comforting glow of the planetarium nightlight. I closed the door halfway and paused to run a mental inventory of how I'd spend the next few precious hours before going to bed. Since their father had decided he'd lost his mojo six months ago and thought that he was ready for all of this, but wasn't, and decided to rent a massive loft across town to focus more on his art and less on his gorgeous family— the time I had to do what I needed to do every day had been slashed on third, so every night I had to choose between the mountain of chores that were never done and the allure of an overfull glass of wine and the couch. Tonight, the wine and couch one. I stretched out a dish towel to conceal the crumbs and small pile of plates on the counter with one hand while I pulled the cork out of the bottle of red and poured with the other. I brought the glass and bottle into the den, passed the pile of mail and unfolded laundry on the counter, and settled into my favorite spot on the couch to half-watch bad TV while scrolling on my phone. I hadn't done this in weeks, maybe even months, and it was glorious. I'd forgotten what comfort felt like. I'd been so consumed by my maternal drive to keep it all together. It was up to me to keep the house and school and friends and activities and work and family all running as smoothly as possible, all while shielding my very young children from their father's decision to pursue his own dreams and comfort over theirs. They still saw him every other weekend, but that did very little to relieve the stress mounting in my life day in and day out. I sighed, shook away the thoughts of my ex, and took a deep warming sip of wine, forcing myself to enjoy this precious moment of escape. We were fine. We'd continue to be fine. And I wasn't about to let him be so selfish that he took every moment of solace from me. I smirked as I scrolled fighting pangs of jealousy over photos of my friends and their still-intact families, and focused on silly memes and videos, giggling harder and harder as the wine took hold. I paused on a page to contemplate a recently divorced male friend from high school who lived nearby. He still looked pretty good, had a decent job, and was pretty funny back in the day, so maybe I'd send him a message one of these days, I thought. I wasn't quite ready yet, but it was fun to fantasize about flirting again someday. I still had a sexy dress in my closet that had the tags on it and was begging for a proper night out. I'd bought it as a special splurge in anticipation of a night out for our anniversary before the ex dropped the world's biggest bombshell, and I shook my head again. Do not let him in. You're fine. We're fine. Fuck him. 
My eyes were growing gloriously heavy and I laid my phone on my chest to rest them for just a second while I allowed myself to go deeper into the fantasy of dressing up and going out with another human adult and laughing and flirting and feeling myself for the first time in years. I was only able to swirl around in these lovely thoughts for a few minutes before I drifted into a deep, wine-fueled sleep. Mommy! I jolted awake, the harsh whisper like a blast to my whole being. I jolted even harder when my eyes opened, deeply scared and trying to comprehend what I was looking at. After a few seconds, I was able to relax slightly as my mind registered that I was staring sideways into my daughter's eyes, which were mere inches away from my face. Mommy! She whispered again, and I bolted upright and reached for her. What's wrong, sweetheart? I asked urgently, climbing out of bed to kneel next to her. What's wrong? Did you have a bad dream? A single tear leaked from Lulu's left eye, and she stared at me with a seriousness far beyond her five years. She gulped and said with equal seriousness, I don't want to let baby Bobo make me do the bad thing. My body froze with terror at her words. Logically, I knew she'd had a bad dream, but in the darkness and disorientation of night and the early stages of a wine hangover, I was trying like hell to fight my fear of my own child and pull it together to comfort her instead of my instinct, which was to push her away, screaming to stop doing the horrible thing she was doing, which was freaking me the fuck out in the middle of the night. Luckily, I managed to embrace her and ask, What bad thing, honey? The blood thing she said and sobbed lightly, her little body shuddering as she said the words and leaned into me. It was all I could do to not scream or vomit as I hugged my five-year-old closer, dizzy and still disoriented in the almost pitch black of the middle of the night. Oh, sweetie, I cooed using my best comforting mom voice. It was just a bad dream. I had them all the time when I was your age. No, mom, she insisted, pulling away. It wasn't a dream. I woke up and she was standing right next to my bed, whispering scary things, telling me to do bad things. The blood things. Her lips trembled, but she had a look of fierce insistence on her face, begging me to believe her. Honey, there was no one by your bed, I promise. Come on, sweetie, I'll show you. No, Mom, she insisted, planting her feet and willing me to stay with her in the perceived safety of the living room. She was there. I kept telling her to leave me alone, to go back to bed like a good girl, and she just kept saying she was baby Bobo, and that I had to do the bad thing, and she hurt me. Mom, it was... She trailed off her face crumpling into sobs, and she transformed into my baby again. It was almost a relief. I could comfort her and reassure her and tuck her back into bed where she belonged. I doubted I'd get much sleep after this, but maybe I could eke out an hour or two. I kicked myself for having the third glass of wine as I fought against my now throbbing head and gathered my sweet Lulu to deliver her back to bed. I carried her to her room, and when I entered, instead of finding Mary still fast asleep like she usually was... She was such a good sleeper, she actually slept through a kitchen fire once. But she was sitting perfectly still at the edge of her bed, arms to her side, staring in the direction of where Lulu should have been sleeping. I startled at the sight, totally unnerved by the fact that she'd been awake this whole time and was probably as terrified as her older sister. I rushed to her side, still cradling Lulu, who was crying lightly in my arms. I could tell sleep was taking over, and I felt relieved that I'd be able to get the girls back to bed and avoid a totally horrific day the next day. I reached out to stroke Mary's hair, and she seemed to snap out of a trance, looking up at me with her stunning round face and breaking into the sweetest smile. Mimi. She called me Mimi. Can you even stand it? She whispered, and started to shimmy her baby body back under the covers. Such a sweet, easy sweetheart, I thought. Both girls were remarkably easy, thank God, but Mary was basically an angel. So happy, so agreeable, so damn easy. I couldn't have done this single-parent thing if the girls hadn't been so damn easy. 
I shuddered at the thought of having to move back in with my parents, who I loved, but who somehow managed to make me feel simultaneously bored and bad about myself, a combination I was wise enough to overcome through years of self-reflection and a healthy dose of therapy. Mary tucked herself in and blinked up at me, radiating enough sweetness to bring my pulse down to the point that I knew I'd actually probably be able to get back to sleep too, thank God. Relishing in the release of oxytocin I received holding my oldest and kissing the fragrant head of my youngest, I whispered, I love you, to Mary, and crossed the room to tuck in my Lulu. Will you sleep in here with me? Lulu asked groggily. I don't think she's going to leave me alone tonight. I fought the urge to reassure her that there was no baby Bobo, and everyone in the room would be asleep in minutes, and instead I simply said, Sure, my love, no problem, and climbed in beside my gorgeous golden girl and almost immediately fell asleep. We all woke up a few hours later, surprisingly well-rested for a family who'd been terrorized by some sort of sadistic baby in the night. We snuggled in bed for a few minutes before we dragged ourselves into the kitchen where I made the girls a big breakfast of eggs, bacon, and toast, driven by my selfish desire to squelch the last remnant of my hangover, but also because big breakfasts made the girls so happy, especially when I made the bacon into a smile below the egg eyes and added a strawberry for a nose when we had them in the house. We had them less and less since my ex left, but today was one of the special days that they'd been two for one at the market, so I couldn't pass them up, and so their breakfast faces didn't have to be presented sans noses. After breakfast, I got the girls ready and off to daycare so I could start my day organizing the books for a local small business. I thanked the gods every day that I'd had the foresight to get my bookkeeping certification between pregnancies and was able to cobble together enough work to keep us relatively comfortable on my one income. It was a little touch-and-go at times, but I'd fallen into a pretty good rhythm with it, and my clients loved me, so I was getting more and more referrals and was feeling generally optimistic about our financial future. I planned to get my CPA once the girls were in school full-time so I could start making real money, but was doing well enough to keep us afloat in the meantime. I was in a surprisingly good mood around lunchtime, despite the weird night we'd had and my rapidly dwindling hangover, so on a whim, I decided to message the high school friend I'd been lightly Facebook-stalking the night before. I honestly don't know what came over me, but all at once I decided, you know what, it's time for me to put myself out there again. I wanted to put on a cute dress and feel worthy of someone's time and attention and have some fun with a grown adult. I kept the message simple, just, Hi, how are you? Want to grab a drink and catch up sometime? It's been years. I knew I should have started with a coffee date, which is a much more sensible way to catch up, but fuck it, I thought. I wanted to have the kind of fun that required a drink and a glass with a very precarious stem, so I just went for it. He responded less than an hour later. Amanda, hey! It's funny, because I was just thinking about you. I'd love to grab a drink. A thing I had on Friday just got cancelled. Meet at Rudker's at 7? I thought my face was going to explode from smiling. I'd forgotten how fun dating could be, and I took a moment to scroll through his feet again, allowing myself the brief fantasy of life with this handsome, funny man. Maybe everything happens for a reason after all, I thought, as I confirmed the date for Friday and went back to work. Thirty minutes later, my phone started buzzing next to me, and my stomach sank when I saw the caller ID read, Kids Daycare, which any parent knows is rarely a good call before the end of the scheduled day. It almost always meant a kid or kids puking or fighting or sharing swears they picked up at their uncle's house and decided to bust out at daycare despite my stern warnings not to. Hello? I answered, bracing myself for what was coming, hoping it was just a request for some kind of fundraising or to an attendant activity. 
It was neither of those things. Hi, Amanda. The girls are fine, but we need you to come down here immediately. Oh, God. What happened, I asked, my heart racing out of my chest, my hands wildly reaching for my purse and keys so I could get out the door as quickly as possible. Please just come down here right away. We'll explain everything in person. I'm on my way right now. I practically screamed into the phone and hung up while climbing into my car. God, being a parent was so hard. So hard. My hands shook as I cranked the ignition and tore out of my driveway in the few short miles to the girls' daycare. I forced myself to take a few deep breaths on the way so I didn't tear into the place like an absolute maniac and terrify the other children. She'd said the girls were okay, but what could be so bad that they'd called me and insist I come down right now? The awful feeling of parental failure and societal judgment started to rise in my gut, choking my throat closed and filling my eyes with tears. What happened? I was dreading whatever waited for me on the other side of the daycare door, but also couldn't wait for the sweet relief of knowing. I made it to the daycare in one piece and managed to collect myself before entering, though I definitely crossed the parking lot with the swiftness of an Olympic speedwalker if such a thing existed. The head of the center met me near the door and brought me into her office where Lulu sat in absolute hysterics. She threw herself across the room as soon as she saw me and clutched my leg and hip, burying her face into me while she sobbed. I'm so sorry, Mommy, so sorry, she wailed. I stroked her hair and looked up at the director, Mrs. Jacobson. What happened? I pleaded. Well, Amanda, I'm very disturbed to report that Lulu lured Melissa into a closet and cut her hand with a small knife we believe she brought from home. Luckily, it was a small cut, but we're all extremely distressed by Lulu's behavior. Mrs. Jacobson laid a paring knife on the desk as she said this, and I immediately recognized it as belonging to the set that lived in the block on the back of my counter in the kitchen at what I thought was a safe distance from the reach of my small children. It was the professional set that my ex had gotten me for my birthday early on in our relationship when he still cared enough to buy me thoughtful and expensive gifts. It was one of the only really nice things I owned, and I loved to cook, so I cared for the set meticulously, and they were very, very sharp, razor sharp even. I drew in my breath and recoiled from the knife completely out of context in this center full of bright colors and young children. Lulu, what on earth? I demanded and pulled her away from me so I could look into her eyes. Is this true? She sobbed harder and attempted to push her body back into mine, but I resisted. Listen, sweetie, I need you to tell me what's going on. I'm not mad. I just need to understand. Did you hurt that little girl? Lulu looked at me with so much anguish in her face, my heart broke a million times in just a few seconds. She took a few breaths to slow her tears and nodded just slightly. But why, sweetie, why in the world would you do that? Mrs. Jacobson and I waited while she collected herself a little more and was finally able to plead her case. I told you, Mommy. Baby Bobo said I had to do the blood thing. I didn't want to do it, but she said if I didn't, she'd take my blood. I thought maybe if I took just a little, she would leave me alone, but I don't think it'll work unless it's a lot of blood. She started crying again, almost screaming while her body racked with sobs. She seemed so lost and so afraid. I soothed her as best I could, wanting even more to throw up or scream or pack up and start a new life where this wasn't happening and my sweet, perfect girls were still sweet and perfect and hadn't just stolen a knife from my kitchen at age five to assault another toddler. What the fuck was going on? I held it together the best I could and said, But Lulu, that was just a dream. A really bad nightmare, remember? There is no baby Bobo, sweetheart. That's just something from your head. Mommy, yes, there is, she demanded. She stayed up all night watching me, and she told me all morning and all the way to school that I had to do the blood thing or she'd take my blood tonight. 
You didn't hear her whispering in the car, and I kept hoping you would, but she wouldn't stop. She just whispers and whispers and whispers. She whispered all day, and I can't take it. I'm so scared, Mommy. I think I got her to stop for a while, but I'm so scared. I don't think she'll stop for good. She took in a shuddering breath and buried her head in my side again. If it's possible for your blood to stop pumping through your body from panic, I'm pretty sure mine did in that moment. What the fuck was happening? Where was this coming from? A psychologist friend had warned me that it wasn't uncommon for kids to act up when their parents separated, but this was so over the top, and besides that, it had almost been a year and neither of the girls had seemed particularly phased by their dad leaving. I reflexively stroked her hair and stared at Mrs. Jacobson, unsure of exactly what to do or say. This was a nightmare. I was suddenly totally unprepared and had no idea what to do with my seemingly disturbed and maybe even dangerous five-year-old daughter. I swallowed hard and managed to say, I am so sorry, Mrs. Jacobson. I'm not sure what's come over her. I mean, their dad left a few months ago and they've taken it pretty hard, I lied. I promise we'll sort this out. This is so unlike her. Well, that's what disturbs me the most, Amanda, Mrs. Jacobson started, her voice tinged with judgment I was so desperate to avoid. Lulu has been nothing but a model child. She's generally so kind and so well-behaved. We're all shocked by her behavior today and hope that she can find the help that she needs. Help she needs? I thought frantically, does my daughter need help? Professional help? She's only five years old, for crying out loud. I fought off the dizziness that filled my head, threatening to shut down my sight into a dark tunnel of nothingness. I had to hold it together for Lulu and Mary. I just needed to get the girls home and safe, and then we could figure out what to do next. We will, I promise, I said, and rose to head toward the door. We'll take a couple of days off and sort things out, and we'll be back next week, I said, hoping beyond hope they wouldn't kick Lulu out of the center she loved so much, but of course, Mrs. Jacobson's next words were what I feared. I'm sorry, Amanda, we can't have Lulu back anymore. We have a zero-tolerance policy for violent behavior, and her behavior today was beyond anything we've ever seen. You're honestly lucky her parents didn't want to call the police. I nodded unable to look at her anymore, and herded my inconsolable Lulu out of the office door. Mary was waiting with the teacher on the other side, bright and bubbly and so blissfully unaware that our lives had suddenly been split down the middle by her older sister's strange and sinister behavior. She waved, ecstatic to see me, and ran to give me a hug, which I managed with my free arm. Come on, my girls. Let's go home. I croaked out as we headed out of the center. Once we were in the car, I twisted around in my seat to face Lulu and begin the process of unraveling what exactly was happening with my beautiful, previously impeccable offspring. Lulu, what is happening? Are you mad about Daddy? You can talk to me. I'm serious. I'm not mad. No, Mommy, I told you. It's baby Bobo. Please, you have to believe me. I sighed, stealing myself for the impossible task of reasoning with a five-year-old about an imaginary boogeyman, excuse me, boogie baby, and my thoughts raced, looking for the perfect thing to say to coax out the truth, but I found nothing. What was I going to do? Honey, I want to believe you, but there is no such thing as baby Bobo. She's not real. You need to stop saying it was baby Bobo and tell me what's really happening. Mom, please, I'm telling the truth. Mary woke up and... Enough! I shouted, suddenly losing my cool and my nerves totally frazzled. Lulu jumped and her face crumpled again and I immediately softened. Honey, I'm sorry. Please don't cry. Let's just go home and have a snack and sort this all out. Everything will be fine, I promise. Okay, Mommy, she sniffled, suddenly seeming so much younger than her five years. My baby, my sweet baby, so tormented all of a sudden. 
I took a deep breath and headed home. The next four days were surprisingly, blessedly calm. I tried one more time that night and then again the next day to ask Lulu what was really going on, but she always said it was baby Bobo. Baby Bobo wanted her to do the bad thing, the blood thing. And eventually I got so tired and frustrated, I decided just to leave it alone for a few days to see what happened. I mean, I googled child therapists, packed up every single sharp object in the entire house, and kept an eye on her 24-7. I even brought out their baby monitor to surveil them while they slept, but I'd read enough books about kids during my pregnancy to know that she was probably just acting out some repressed anger for my separation, and as awful as it was that she'd physically harmed another little girl, she'd likely learned from her actions and would settle back into her sweet self sooner than later. And after a couple of days, it seemed like she was. There were no more night terrors, no more talk of baby Bobo, and not a single shred of anger or violence or malice from my golden girl. My darling Lulu was back, and at the end of the week, I sighed the hugest sigh of relief, reminding myself to take things with a grain of salt as they got older and acted out. It was part of growing up, I reminded myself, part of communicating all of the dark and scary things that we encounter as we grow and learn. I'd be there for them when it got bumpy. There wasn't anything we couldn't overcome together. I was also relieved because, I'll admit, once the clouds parted a little and I remembered my date, I selfishly still really wanted to go. I gave it until Thursday night, and when things really did seem to be back to normal, I phoned our usual babysitter, an exceedingly responsible and always available 17-year-old named Franny. Thank God for nerdy introverts, I said to myself as her prompt affirmative text lit up my screen. What would parents do without them? Friday also came and went without incident, and the lovely optimism I'd experienced earlier in the week returned, and I sang to myself while pinning up my hair to reveal the sexy dress I'd finally gotten to take the tags off of. I looked pretty good. I was older and softer, and there were lines where there hadn't been the last time I'd been on a date, but I'm someone who chooses to embrace aging rather than fight it, so I smiled at myself approvingly and applied a risky shade of red lipstick to make my intentions for the night a little more clear to my date. Franny showed up promptly at 6.45 like the godsend she was, and I headed out of the house, a gorgeous burst of hope appearing in my chest, and I drove into the night and the possibilities that lay ahead. My date Brian was waiting in front of Rutgers when I arrived, and I smiled at his thoughtful promptness. I sized him up as I approached, and he looked great. Older, and also softer, but very handsome, and his clothes were cool but age-appropriate, and he looked like he put in a little effort without trying too hard, which I appreciated. I could tell immediately that this was going to be a great night. And it was. The night flowed effortlessly. We talked and laughed like we saw each other every day. He was a great conversationalist and knew how to ask a lady a question, which isn't a quality all straight men possess. So I let my guard down and let myself thoroughly enjoy a fun night with a handsome man. We talked about kids. He had two boys and travel. He'd travel quite a bit before the kids and was planning to do more as they got older and work. He had a great job as an engineer for the city, and I was shocked when I checked my phone and it was 11.45 p.m. Oh my gosh, I said and started to get up apologetically. How did he get so late? He smiled and took the last sip of his beer. I'll walk you to your car, he said, and put his hand on my lower back to lead me toward the door. I felt a jolt of electricity in his touch and was instantly excited to see him again. At my car, he smiled again and without hesitation asked, Can I see you again soon? Yes, I'd like that, I'd responded, trying not to swoon too hard, but betraying myself with the big, dumb smile spreading across my face. 
He leaned in to kiss me, and maybe it was because I hadn't had a first kiss in years, but I was pretty sure it was the best kiss I'd ever had. My body flushed, and I pulled back, smiled another dumb smile, and packed myself into the car despite the overwhelming urge to stay and explore exactly how good a kisser he really was. I'll see you soon, he said sweetly. No doubt about it, I responded and drove off. I was absolutely giddy as I drove home, replaying the kiss in my mind over and over. I said a little prayer to thank the gods for urging my ex to leave, who suddenly seemed like such a schlubby loser next to Brian. I didn't want to get ahead of myself, but I had a really, really good feeling about him. I floated into my house, still smiling so hard my face was starting to ache. I sighed a happy sigh as I hung up my purse and turned toward the living room, expecting to see Franny perched at the edge of the couch, already wearing her coat and backpack like she usually was when I got home. But the living room was completely dark and empty. I flipped on the light and did a quick scan of the living room and kitchen and realized she was probably upstairs with one of the girls who decided to take advantage of the lack of mom at home to try to stay up late. As I climbed the stairs, I began to hear a light sniffling and soft sobbing sound. I paused midway to strain to hear and then quickened my pace when I confirmed it was definitely the tears of one of my children and I was pretty sure it was Lulu. My heart raced a little, hoping to God it wasn't another baby Bobo incident. I'd been so relieved she'd moved past that strange spell from earlier in the week and decided as I ascended the stairs that I'd call a therapist tomorrow to get some advice. Maybe she really was taking the separation hard and I'd just been ignoring the signs in my own fight to stay positive. We'd get this sorted out, and in the meantime, I'd spend a little extra time cuddling her tonight, reassuring her mommy and daddy still loved her very much. But I froze when I reached the top of the stairs, and my mind struggled to comprehend what I was seeing. Lulu was standing in front of the closed bathroom door, eyes staring at nothing while she shivered and sobbed quietly. Her teeth chattered as she cried, but she made no attempt to comfort or warm herself, just hyperventilated lightly as she stared and cried. The look on her face told me she was far, far away. The haunted look on her face and persistent sobs weren't what stopped me in my tracks while my mind made every effort to understand what I was seeing, however. The thing that was threatening my sanity as I stared at my sweet child was that she was covered almost completely from head to toe in blood. Her usually stunning blue eyes looked inhuman and over-white, surrounded by so much red, and they snapped toward me when she finally sensed my presence in the hall. Mommy! She half screamed like the mewling of an injured animal. Oh, mommy! Oh, mommy! She erupted into full-blown sobs as I rushed toward her, totally unsure of how to approach or comfort my blood-soaked, hysterical child. As I got closer to her, I glanced toward the bathroom door and saw what also seemed to be blood seeping from the crack underneath. Dear God, what is happening? Whose blood was this? What in God's name was I supposed to do? Where is Mary? Mary! The name exploded from deep inside of me as I remembered my baby girl. Lulu, where is Mary? I threw myself at the bathroom door, slipping slightly and sickeningly on the pool of blood at my feet and started yanking frantically at the knob of the closed door. Mary, Mary! I screamed as loud as my voice would allow, switching between wrestling futilely with the slippery knob and slamming my palms against the door in an attempt to get my baby, despite whatever horrors waited for me on the other side. Oh God, Mary, please be okay. Mimi? said a small voice to my right, so softly that I thought I'd imagined it at first. I stopped my frantic pounding and turned toward the sound of the word, praying desperately in the half a second it took to turn that the sound came from my youngest daughter. 
the most immense relief flooded through me as I found my lovely baby girl standing innocently near her sister with a soft smile on her face despite the unbelievable horror unfolding around her. Oh my god, Mary, I roared as I threw myself around her, hugging her almost too tightly in my relief to see her alive in one piece. Oh, thank god, I repeated over and over and I clutched her against my pounding chest. No, mommy, no! Lulu began screaming as her slick, bloody hands clutched at my arms and attempted to pull them off of her sister. It's not safe. It's not safe, she called and fought to find a solid hold on my now blood-covered arm. I released Mary and turned toward Lulu, gripping both arms tightly and looking into her animal-like eyes. What is wrong with you? What is going on? What have you done? I shook her slightly in my desperation. My God, honey, what have you done? Baby Bobo made me do it, Mom. Her face crumpled as she began crying again thick ropes of sobs escaping from deep, deep inside of her. The blood before wasn't enough. I knew it wouldn't be enough. Her words were engulfed by her cries as the realization of what she'd done washed over her. Oh no, mommy. Oh no. What's gonna happen? She collected herself a little and looked up at me. What's gonna happen now that I made so much blood come? I shivered, hearing the strange half-adult, half-baby words come out of my daughter's mouth. Her sister started to approach me, and Lulu turned and shoved her back with a huge, No! Lulu! I scolded and pushed her away from her baby sister, knocking her off balance as she stumbled back and landed on her butt. What is wrong with you? I begged, feeling as wild-eyed and animalistic as my daughter looked. I tried to tell you, Mommy, she whimpered, pulling her knees to her chest while her gaze drifted toward her sister. I tried to tell you, but you were too mad. She shuddered and took a jagged breath. Mary is baby Bobo. She dropped her head to her knees and sobbed, a horrible sobs of a life forever altered. I blinked several times as I tried to comprehend what she'd just said. I turned toward Mary, who was still smiling, her soft smile. She blinked at me innocently, still smiling, and then reached out, grasped the bathroom door handle, and turned. was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Courtney Eck. For more scary stories that you cannot get out of your head, please join our Patreon at please leave backslash patreonpod.com. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at Please Leave Pod. Our email is please leave pod at gmail.com and our website is please leave pod.com. This has been a Two Penguins Media Production.